Welcome to Encompass Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. To share your story of what God has been doing in you and through you, take a moment to email us at amen at encompass.org.au. Enjoy today's message. Thank you. Thank you. You can take your seats. Find um, your form that looks like this. If you're sitting on it, just take that out. There should be a pen on your seats as well. Now, today we had lots going on in the service. Um, We're running about 10 minutes behind. So if we do go over, um, that's why. So please, can you be a bit gracious with us this morning? If you need to go, please, please go. (laughs) Um, But if we go over, that's why. You can leave. It's all right. The doors are open. They're not locked. (laughs) All right. Um, So, yes, as she said, we're in week three of our series on uh, Galatians on getting the gospel right. Getting the gospel right. Um, I've heard it said that when we, we need to get the gospel right because if we don't get it right, sinners don't get saved, believers stay in bondage, and God isn't glorified. And so we must preach the gospel the way it should be preached, the way that we that the Bible teaches us to. So in the last two weeks, we've heard that Paul was writing to a non-Jewish church, a Galatian church. Okay, they're like a congregation like us. And uh, and these Jewish leaders came into the church and started to teach them that grace plus works equals salvation. But Paul says, no. Okay, so they're creating, creating this hybrid religion, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Jewish law, uh, and, and Paul's like, no, it's grace plus nothing equals salvation. And so he corrects that. And so now we're in Galatians 4, and if you have, have your notes ready, we don't usually do this, but because we're doing a book on the Bible, you'll find all of Galatians there. Some of you, it's upside down. I'm sorry about that. There's some of you, about a hundred of you apparently have one that's not quite right, but you can still follow along with us. Um, so let's start by sharing. Let me share this. Um, how many of you remember turning 18 years old? You can remember it. I remember very clearly returning 18 years old, uh, finishing school, and it was just a magical time in our household. Um, I did everything that my parents told me to do. I never pushed back on them. How many of you believe me? <laughs> you shouldn't. I'm lying right now. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was, this phase of our lives was war. It was war. It was a power struggle. It was, uh, you know, I wanted to go out. I wanted to stay out late. And my parents did not want that, okay? And so I argued with them. I pushed against every restraint they tried to, or every curfew they tried to put on me. And I argue, I was so good at arguing that my parents believed that that should be my calling in life to be a lawyer. So I was that good or that I was bad daughter, good arguer, good lawyer. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was fighting, I was fighting against them. I, I wanted to be free. I wanted to own my own life, have my own voice, make my own decisions. I, I wanted to grow up. Now, was I wrong to want that? No, because we have to grow up. We have to grow up. We, we have to grow in freedom and responsibility. Growing up is about growing in freedom. 
And so we must. Adolescence is this period of time. And parents, you may not like me after today's service, but adolescence is this period of, of our lives that we are supposed to rebel against and, and, and push against the restraints of our parents, of our parents, so that we can grow up. So that we don't become like a man child or or a woman child. We must grow up. And Galatians is is four is talking about this. Paul is talking to the Galatian church and he's saying it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. And that's my title this morning. You see, the Galatians were trying to grow in their walk with Christ. They were trying to grow, but they were doing it all wrong. They were doing it all wrong. And we can, do, we can make these mistakes that they made too. So it's very relevant to our lives today. So instead of, of growing up and growing in freedom, Paul says to them, you're regressing. You've actually gone backwards into bondage. So Galatians 4, and you can fill in your first things now, it covers the topics of gospel maturity. We're going to talk about gospel ministry and it relates to parenting as well, and also gospel identity. That's what Galatians 4 covers. And Paul is essentially asking three questions in this chapter, three questions that still apply and can be asked of us today. So the first question is, and again, you can fill this in, number one, am I a mature adult or a spiritual child? Am I a mature adult or a spiritual child? So let's start, and you can read along in your notes or in your, on your Bible, in your Bibles, Galatians 3 verse 23, let's start. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Skip to verse 29. It says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it says, if you belong to Christ, not if you come to church, not if your parents come to church, but if you belong to Christ, if you have repented and you've decided to follow Jesus, then you become a child of God. You become a child of God and you inherit all the promises that were made to Abraham become yours. Okay, that's what he's saying. Now, now we're in Galatians 4. Galatians 4 verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Because although he, owns the whole, although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. This was written 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. And back then, what you have to understand is that children were not highly regarded. Children were abandoned, children were neglected, children were mistreated. And there were no legal protections for children. Okay, there was no DHHS, there was nothing like that. And so many children were, were beaten and, and if you were sick or if you had disabilities or if you were a girl, then 
your parents, a lot of parents would leave those children out in the trash. Or they would sell you as a slave, okay? And, and so, actually, the mortality rate was, was 50%. Children under five, 50% died. So, dads owned their children like a piece of property. And the, so, the quality of a child's life was utterly dependent upon the character of the father. Your childhood was either really, really, really horrific or really, really wonderful, depending on who your father was. And so Paul is writing to this Galatian church, and many of them had been abandoned by their dads. Many of them had been cast aside, had been tossed aside, and and many of them were slaves, many of them were poor, many of them were women. So when it says in Galatians 3 verse 28, what it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. He's not saying these, these distinctions don't exist. There is still male and female. There is still, uh, you know, free and slave. But for you are all one in Christ. He's saying those distinctions don't matter anymore. And so in a culture where a lot of people felt rejected, a lot of people who didn't have fathers, this was incredible. They were blown away to hear that there was a father who was safe, a father who loved them, a father that that would share his inheritance with all his children. Well, this this was just blowing them away. And Paul is saying that when a child has a father who loves them, who doesn't toss them aside, who doesn't cast them out. When a, when a father has a child, he leaves them an inheritance. When they come of age, they get an inheritance and they inherit all that the father has. All that the father has will one day be theirs. But as long as they are a child, they have the same level of freedom as a slave. Maybe you hadn't thought of childhood is like slavery. It's like bondage. <laughs> Interesting. Because kids don't make their own decisions. Do they? Kids don't make their own decisions. I heard um, my maternal child health nurse, she said to me, yes, kids don't have common sense. It's true. They don't. Like, they would just eat Coca-Cola for breakfast. They would never have a bath. My, my, my daughter, my 19-month-old, she just goes head first off the table. She doesn't care. Like, there's no common sense with children. And so, children need rules. Do you understand? Children need rules because they don't have wisdom. They don't have experience. And so they have to do what they're told for their own protection. Yeah, they, they need rules. They need law. They need this. And, and that's like a slave. A slave must obey orders. He can't just choose what he wants to do. Neither can our children. They don't get to choose certain things because they're not of age. It's like a, a child that, that's an heir. They have no rights yet. Although it belongs to them, it doesn't belong to them. And a slave also doesn't own anything. So he's saying our childhood is a representation of, of slavery. And so a child is raised up under guardians, under parents, and ultimately the goal back then and even today is to get that child mature enough that they can make their own decisions. Okay, that they would make their own decisions. So it goes from this is what you have to do to one day asking them, what are you going to do? Yeah, because we can't always be telling them what to do. Otherwise, they won't grow in freedom and responsibility. We have to teach them that. And so the aim is to get them off the payroll. 
How many parents here, you have got your kids off the payroll? They, you've launched them into the world and you are, you are no longer paying. Yep, so a few, not many. How many of you got your kids? Put your hands up. Yep. And so now they find their own place to live. They generate their own income and they take care of themselves. Yeah? And the hope and prayer is that our kids will all do that one day. Yeah? Not living with us like forever. But some days, sometimes, even if they leave home, they want to revert back. Yeah, they leave home, but they want to go back. And, and Galatians, the Galatian people wanted to go back. Look at um, Galatians 4 verse 8. He said, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather that you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? He's talking about the worldly idea that we save ourselves that we by our own effort can be good enough, that we can save ourselves. And every other religion says that we must save ourselves. We have to do the work. And he's saying, why are you going back to that? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Verse 10, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. So he's saying, you had this freedom, you had this grace, you had this righteousness given to you by Jesus So why are you going back to trying to save yourselves by human effort? Now, these days, what does that look like? So seasons, uh, days, months, this is certain things that they practiced back then. And certain things that we practice might be like church attendance, giving, reading the Bible, serving on Sundays. And when we start to turn those practices into, well, I need to do that, and if I do that, then I feel better. If I do that, then God will love me more. I feel more loved by God when I read my Bible more. I feel more loved by God when I'm serving all the time. I feel more loved by God when I'm, when I'm giving. When I do that, I, God, I'm, God is more pleased with me. And if we need to do those things to feel good enough for God, then we have become enslaved by those things. Okay? That's what he's saying. You see, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Nothing that you can do. I love this, uh, this quote by Timothy Keller. He says, the great and central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. And so Paul is saying, you had this freedom, you had this approval in Jesus, and now you're reverting back to like this second childhood. You're going back to the rules. You're going back to the bondage of being told what to do and gaining approval by what you do. And it's like this. How many of you have had kids and, uh, and then they, and they, you launch them out into the world and then they realize that stuff is expensive? And so I'm like, I'm just going to go home and eat from my parents' fridge. You know, I'm just going to stay home and save up to buy a house or something and so I don't have to pay rent or pay bills. And, and, and so they revert back and we do that. Why do we do that? Why? I, mean, I've, I haven't lived back at home, but I've definitely raided their fridge. Uh, <laughs> still do. Um, and, and why do we do that? Because it's easier having someone else take care of us. It's easier to have someone else to tell us what's right and wrong than having to uh, take responsibility for our own lives. And ultimately, that's what happens in Galatia. They had become Christians, they're maturing, they're growing. And then some people show up that are really bossy. 
And these bossy people look like they have all the answers. They know what's black and right. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And they really looked like they knew what they were talking about. And so these Galatians thought they were mature. And sometimes we look at the person who's bossy and we think, oh, they must be mature. But no, just because they look like they have answers doesn't mean they're God's answers. It just means they like telling people what to do. And that's what these people did. And they listened to them. Now, let me make a side note here, and let's go to verse 18. Flick your page over. You'll see there's a side note that says gospel ministry. Because here, Paul shows us how do we spot these people in our life that try to keep us immature? How do we spot these people? And he's showing us what does gospel ministry look like? And and there's a lot of applications here for parenting as well. So Galatians 4 verse 17, it says those people, he's talking about the Judaizers, the the Jewish leaders, they are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Zeal for them. Paul's saying, beware of people that want you to look to them for the answers. People in your life who position themselves one up to you. People who act like they hear from God more than you. People who act like they're always right and you should do this. People who act disappointed when you do what they don't approve of. Do you have any people in your life like that? The Judaizers wanted followers who who glorified them. That's in your notes. Followers who glorified them. But look at, let's look at Paul's example of gospel ministry and leadership. Look at verse 19. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul was not interested in having fans or followers. He desperately wanted Christ to be formed in them. And so gospel ministry wants partners who glorify Christ partners who glorify Christ. And I want to just share with you this other scripture um, today, which I think also helps to understand this. In Matthew 23, verse 8, this is Jesus' words, and he's teaching us about Christian leadership. And he says, but you are not to be called rabbi. Rabbi meant the great one. So he's saying, in, you know, you are not to be called leaders, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Interesting. You are all brothers. Look at the equality here. There is no one better than than the others. No one more spiritual. We are all brothers. I am your sister. You are, we're brothers, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. At verse 9 it says, and do not call anyone on earth father, they're talking about spirit in a spiritual sense, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying here that leaders were not to have superiority or control over their people. That leaders must not replace God in people's life that we are to serve people. We are to serve people and point them back to freedom, to point them back to Christ. And so otherwise, people become in bondage to our ideas and our ways, and that just keeps people in bondage. They've got to find Christ and their way through him. So gospel ministry brings us to Christ dependence. It shapes us in Christ's 
likeness and it provokes us to Christ praise. Now, in some cultures and in some churches, the pastors are elevated uh, to being the man of God. And in some cultures and some families, the parents' voice is elevated and honoured even above God. Even when their children are, are adults, it's like you must, you have to listen to what I am saying. But the gospel says you are all brothers. You are a man and woman of God. You are a woman of God. You are a man of God. And you don't need everybody telling you what to do because you have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have God's people. And so you can, you can know what to do. God can show you what you need to do. He doesn't have to go through someone above you to do it. The gospel is this equalizer. We are all brothers. So you can make your own decisions. Dr. Henry Clowder, a Christian psychologist, his take on Galatians 4. He says the adolescent passage, which again can be done at any age, you can do it in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, but the adolescent passage is when we overthrow the legalistic structures that interfere with our relationship with God. Anyone that's getting in the way of us hearing from God. So in order to grow up, we have to chisel away at the authority of our parents as God-like figures or others so that God can be our parent. We don't become fatherless. We, God becomes our parent so we can be adopted by God. So that's the end of the side note there. Back to, you can turn your page again. All right, so back to number one. So Paul is saying here, the law had its place in time. Just like rules had a place in our life when we were children. We needed it. The law was guarding us. It was protecting us. It was preparing us. The law was preparing us. You can add that to your notes. It was preparing us for Jesus. But when Jesus came, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the bondage of the law. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled, he did the work for us. And so now it's only through his grace, it is only now by his spirit that we can achieve freedom and maturity in Christ. It doesn't come by what we do, it becomes on resting in him. And we're going to talk about more on, in chapter five when we get to that in a couple of weeks' time. So the question today is, are you a spiritual child or a maturing adult? Are you still looking to others to tell you what the answers are? Are you still looking for people to tell you how to be good, how to be right? Or can you make decisions on life and faith by yourself? Question number two that the, that the text asked, do you see yourself as a, a son or a slave? Do you see yourself as a son or a slave? Galatians 4, verse 4 to 5, it says, When the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. So not only did Jesus redeem us, not only did, did salvation take our sins away from us, but salvation also transferred to us 
the rights and privileges of the son. Okay? And so here's what Paul's saying. You either see yourself as a son or a slave. That's your identity. Now, another side note, if you go to verse 22, turn over your page. Verse 22, another side note. He uses the story of Abraham's two sons as a figurative, like an illustration. Okay, and he says that Ishmael was the son of a slave woman, Hagar, conceived through human effort. You can write that in your notes. And that was through striving. It was by the flesh that Ishmael was born. He was born of a slave. Whereas Isaac was the son of the free woman, Sarah, conceived miraculously through the power of God. Now, which one are we? Are we, are we like Ishmael or are we like Isaac? Isaac. Galatians 4.28 says, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. And look in verse 30. It says, But what does Scripture say? It says, Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but we are, but of the free woman. Paul saying, like Isaac, you are part of God's plan and you were saved by divine power, not by your own efforts. And so you are not a slave born under the law. You are a son. You are an heir and you will inherit the promises of God. So we are sons, not slaves, but many of us still think like slaves. And so what's the difference? Let me give you some, some examples. Number one, or what you'll see in your notes, a slave is powerless. A slave is powerless. A slave feels like they are a victim of their circumstances. If you think like a slave, then you feel trapped. You feel chained. You feel mistreated. You feel at the mercy of others. You feel like you cannot change your destiny. Do you feel like that? Do you feel powerless? You see, a father, a good father, does not take power from his son, but he teaches his son to grow in power so that he can exercise power well, so that he can have a fruitful and good life. And so God doesn't take away. So a son is empowered, empowered. A son is empowered. Just a note here about those who feel powerless. Every time something bad happens in life, when we feel powerless, we look at God and we say, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you punishing me? But what you have to understand is that God doesn't punish his sons. His son took the beating. God doesn't beat you. Jesus took the beating for us. So so God doesn't punish us. All right, so we are not powerless. We are empowered. He is giving us power. Number two, or the, the second lot of uh, ones there is a son, uh, sorry, a slave is a tool. A slave is a tool. A slave is measured and valued by how they perform, how well they, they, they work. And so if you think like a slave, then you always have to be working. You always have to work to feel good about yourself. You always feel a need to prove yourself. 
and you and and you know workaholism, all that you know, not able to stop, stop. You just have to keep going, have to keep going. That's that's a slave mentality. And no matter what you do, it's never enough. It never feels enough. You never feel good enough. You never feel in. You always feel out. And that is a slave mentality. A son, on the other hand, is accepted. A son works from acceptance, not for approval. So a son is secure in the father's love and devotion for him. A slave is disposable. If you're, my, you're, if you're my slave and you don't produce, if you don't work well, then I can kill you or I can sell you. Now, some of you come from families where you were rejected and somebody else was the favorite, but our Heavenly Father doesn't operate like this. He doesn't operate like If you're my son, you are irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. You are always in the family. It's irreversible. You are always in. You are forever in the family, always in, always enough. And little note here that when, when I say sons, uh, back then sons were the only ones who could inherit. They are the only ones that had the right, any rights. And so when he says you are sons, he's saying females, males, slaves, free, you are all sons. You are all given the equal privileged status of a son. So it's very inclusive for all of us. So do you see yourself as a slave, powerless, always working, never feeling good enough, never feeling in, or do you see yourself as a son, safe, secure, accepted, empowered? And the last question today, number three, is do you see God as father or master? Do you see God as father or master? In Galatians 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out or cries out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So two of the most important questions, this this passage answers two of the most important questions in our faith. Who are you? A son, not a slave. Who is God? He is a father, not a master. What's interesting is that we don't talk much about God the Father much in church, do we? We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about Jesus, as we should. Okay, We're, we're a Pentecostal church. We it's, it's Christianity. It's Christ. Of course we should, but what we don't talk much about the fatherhood of God. You know, fathers, has it ever dawned on you that, that God lends you his name? That God lends you his title, Father? It's a massive weight and responsibility. Massive. You see, growing up, your kids are saying, Father, 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 Father. And then they grow up and they're like, who's God? Father. It's dad. And so it's important that we talk about God the Father because what happens is, is that often we, we take our earthly experience from our earthly father and we project that onto our heavenly father. And there may be some of you in this room and you would say, I don't have a father. I am fatherless. Maybe there are others of you that said, I had a father, but he left, he left our family. Maybe you'd say, I have a father, but... He's not involved or interested in my life. 
Maybe you'd say, I, had a, I have a father, but he just lets me do whatever I want. Or I have a father, but, but he, he's judgmental and, and, and he only approves of me if I do what he wants me to do. You know, there's something in us that yearns and wants to be accepted by our father. And ultimately, we can only find that acceptance and healing from God, our father, because our earthly fathers will always be imperfect. So let me tell you a little bit about the fatherhood of God. The Old Testament very rarely talks about God as father. In fact, only 15 times in the Old Testament, in 39 books, does it ever say God the father. And, and that is actually more in a, a general sense when it's saying the father of Israel. So not in a personal way, um, but in a very general way. And so something happens that changes this. What happens, do you think? Jesus. Jesus shows up. And do you remember what was spoken over Jesus at his baptism? Just like the, our friends that were baptized today. What was spoken over Jesus baptized? He goes under the water. He comes up and the heavens open and, and God's voice speaks. And what does he say? This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And had Jesus done anything cool yet? Had he walked on water? Had he done any miracles? Had he cast out any demons yet? No. You see, our identity is not based on our performance. God loved us before we did anything good. And He loves us in spite of us doing anything bad. That is our Father. We don't have any other relationship like this. None. You know, in a, if, you are, if, you are a, if you are a son of God, a daughter of God, then God speaks this over your life. That's my son. That's my daughter. I'm so proud of them. That's my kid. I love them. He speaks that over you. And if you've been rejected by your father, your earthly father, then you have a heavenly father. And Paul wants us to know, just like he wanted the Galatians to know, someone chose you. Someone chose you. You are wanted. You are adopted by a good father. And he wanted us to know. And do you know that after Jesus' baptism, that Jesus refers to, to his favorite title for God was Father. 165 times in the first three Gospels, he refers to, to, to God as his Father. I mean, he taught us to pray in Matthew. To pray, do we, who are we supposed to pray to? Our Father. You know, in the garden, uh, before Jesus went to the cross, he was talking to his father and, and constantly he's talking to his father. And, and have, you, have any of you got a little kid? I've got little girls and, and how much do they, they call out to you? Mom, dad, mom, dad. I mean, all the time. <laughs> when they want something, mom. When, they want, when they're hurt, mom. When, they, when they're hurting or when they, they, just to know that you're nearby, they call out, don't they? Always, always calling out your name, why? because they are utterly dependent on us. We are their whole world. And Jesus was like that with God, his Father. He was always talking about his Father. He was always talking to his Father. You see, when, when God sent Jesus to die for us, that was external to us. But then it says that, that, that he put his Spirit in our hearts. 
He changed us on the inside. And our spirit, it says in this verse that his, our spirit began to cry out, Abba, Father. This means Dad. It means Dad. And this is a daringly intimate name for the Lord God Almighty, isn't it? Dad. It is the cry of, Dad, I need you. It's the cry of intimacy. It's the cry of dependence on a father. And so as I said in the garden, just before Jesus went to the cross, he's praying all night to his dad. He's saying, dad, he's about to, he's about to go through the worst day of his life. And he says, dad, I've got to talk to you about this. And then he, when he goes to the cross, he's on the cross and, and he cries out, father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he's saying, dad, I trust you on the worst day, on the, with the worst pain I will ever endure, endure. Dad, I trust you. Dad, I trust you. You know, our adoption has given us a new distinctive cry. A distinctive cry. When we suffer, when life becomes hard, and we, we still cry as children of God. We still have challenges. But now we can turn our cry to our Heavenly Father. And we can cry out to Him. And we know by faith that He will respond to us. You know, have you listened to your cry lately? What does your cry sound like when you are faced with setbacks and, and difficulties and, and pain? What do you sound like? Is it a cry or, of a slave to its master saying, how could you do this to me? Or is it a cry to the Father and says, God, I trust you. Father, I know you're with me. Father, I need you. I remember when I was at school and um, I went to the school just across, just over here. And um, I remember at school that I just had this confidence that no matter what happened to me, I would be okay. Because do you know who my dad was? My dad was the boss man. He was the boss of the church. He was the boss of the school. And at least in my head, that's what I thought anyway. And my dad worked uh, up there in the offices and, uh, and I was over the school. And when I was younger, my dad told my sister and I that if you ever get into any trouble or if you ever need me, I am here. You can come at any time and I will see you. And so I remember this day and I don't remember what it was about, but I remember feeling overwhelmed and I was feeling sad. And I remember saying, I need my dad. I need my dad. And so it wasn't very strict back then, so I don't know how I did it, but I crossed the bridge and I came over here, left school grounds. And um, I remember walking up and my, my dad's secretary seeing me and, and she didn't stop me, she knew. She went straight away and she knocked on my dad's door and told him that I was there. And my dad came out straight away and I, I saw that he was meeting with people and I, I remember knowing who they were and that they were important people and maybe daddy won't have time for me but no my daddy he he said I've got to go speak to my daughter and he didn't tell me to go back to school he didn't tell me to come back later he didn't tell me I can't help you he came to me and he kneeled down and he cared for me and he cared for me until I felt safe that I could go back to school <laughs> As I said, I don't remember what that was about. I don't remember what happened. All I knew is I needed my dad. And I knew he would be there for me. 
I knew that my dad was right there. I knew that he was powerful. I knew that he was interested in me. I knew that I was his priority. I knew that he was close. We have a heavenly father and he is right there. He is right here and He is interested and you are His priority and He doesn't tell you to go away. He doesn't cast you aside. He takes you in His arms and He cares for you until you're ready to go into the world. We don't cry like the world cries. We have a distinctive cry a cry that turns to our Heavenly Father that knows He is there, that knows that He cares. So today ask yourself, am I crying like a slave who is afraid and angry at their master? Or am I like a child who is assured of my Father's love? You know, this whole chapter, Paul is asking them, and we are closing now. He's asking them, why would you be a child when you could be an adult? Why would you be a slave when you can be a son, when I've given you this identity? Why would you see me as master when I am your loving father? You know, I've heard recently about this research in the field of study called nominative determinism. And it's this idea that names determine the outcome of our lives. And it literally means name-driven outcome. And so there's this NYU professor called Adam Alter, and he says that names have the power to shape someone's life and destiny. So think of Usain Bolt. Would he have still have been a fast runner if his name was Usain Plod? I don't know if it's true. They, look, they say that, that our names take root deep within us and that on a subconscious level, it has the power to draw us towards what those names mean. As I said, I don't know if that's true or not, but here's what we know is true. The gospel has freed us from our old names and our old identity. And God has given us a new name. He has given us His name. We are sons and daughters of God. And with that, we have a new identity. We have a new family. We have a new future. We have a new father. He gives us his spirit. When we believe that, when we really believe that, it changes everything. It changes everything. Would you close your eyes and and bow your heads? You know, if God's really speaking to you this morning, God's speaking to your identity, He's speaking to you about, you know, the way you've been crying out. If God's speaking to you just about anything today, would you just raise your hand? Or even, even if not, we're just gonna, I'm just going to pray over you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, our Father. Thank you, Father, that you chose us. Thank you that you wanted us. Thank you that you made a way for us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that by you, we can have a relationship. We can cry out, Abba, Father. We can cry out to you knowing that you hear us, that you care for us.
Lord, I thank you for the work that has started today. Lord, that you are changing our identity. Lord, that you are called, that you have called us sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we thank you that we are yours. We are not out. We are in. You have brought us in close. Lord, I pray that you would hardwire, re-hardwire this into our, into our hearts, who you are, who you say we are. And if there are those of you here today and you don't yet know Jesus, you have not accepted Jesus to be Lord and Saviour of your life, I want to give you the opportunity to be in today. And so today, if you decide you want to call upon the name of the Lord, call upon the name of Jesus to be saved, to be a son and daughter of God, you have not made that decision before. But today you want to be born again spiritually into the family of God to be given a new future, a new faith, a new nature. If that is you today, and, and you've been sensing throughout this message that Jesus is calling your name today. If that's you, would you raise your hand to say, that's me, would you pray for me? Today, I wanna to become a child of God. Yes, I see that hand. Any other hands today? And you've not made that decision before. I'm gonna pray for you today. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, I come to you a sinner and I need saving. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. You took my punishment. Today I choose to follow you. Thank you for making me part of your family. You already chose me, but today I choose you. Congratulations. Why don't we give those people a hand who responded to God? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Encompass Church. If today's message has impacted you and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need prayer or if you want to get connected to the church, please contact us at office at encompass.org.au. Never miss a moment by following us online. Search for Encompass Church on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.